Hey guys, welcome to episode 6 of Super High Sci-Fi. Uh, we have some news to discuss this week, thank God. But unfortunately, not all of it is happy. Uh, I'm sure if you're a sci-fi fan or anyone who's capable of reading, you saw that Leonard Nimoy died a couple days ago. He was 83 years old, and I'm sure a lot of people know him primarily because he played Mr. Spock on the original series of Star Trek in the 60s, uh, all the way through the various movies with that cast, Next Generation, and I can't. I don't think he was in any other Star Trek shows, but he certainly had his high exposure <laughs> through all of the different uh, incarnations of Star Trek. Yeah, he was in J.J. Trek. Yeah, he was in J.J. Trek as well. Yeah. So joining... He was going to be in the upcoming movie too, probably. Well, yes, but not anymore. <laughs> Joining me, uh, as yeah. usual, Grant and Sam from the icy wasteland of New Jersey today. <laughs> hey, hey. So, yeah, uh, Leonard Nimoy's dead, man. That's pretty crazy. Get... Yeah, he was... talk about like one of the a living legend we could say of the sci-fi world, and someone who had quite the history of you know liking his character and not liking his character, and finally embracing it. He. He had a very long career in sci-fi, and he tried to break out of it a little bit, but eventually he embraced it, which I think was... He realized it became... The character became, and his portrayal of it became so much bigger than what he was. So I think we're going to look at him a little bit today and just, you know, examine his uh, his career in sci-fi as... It truly was quite a career in sci-fi, and I mean, we could only hope to have more people who follow his example in the... Uh, in the genre, really, I don't know who we're gonna have to who can replace um, Leonard Nimoy as Mister Spock, or just you know in general as he's gonna leave. I feel like a gaping hole in the life of, in the world of uh, sci-fi. But without any further uh, delay, I guess we should we should discuss his early career. Who wants to, Clark? Do you want, or Grant? Do you want to talk about? I that? actually don't know much about his his early career. Yeah. All right. I, I just I just I looked at some stuff. He uh, apparently he was just doing. There's a famous quote that he just said uh, when he took Star Trek, the original series. Beforehand, he was said he was working jobs that didn't last longer than two weeks. So, I'm sure you guys who probably have some more knowledge on this part know. I mean, I imagine it was probably he was doing extra work and whatnot until the original series came along and he got the he became he basically he became a side character. And aliens had been side characters, I feel like, up until that point where it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm just – I saw it described somewhere, a monotone, like, person delivering lines. But, you know, Larry Nimoy took it to a whole different level. He gave the whole oh, – the char- not the character type, you know, a whole different life than probably what had been normally seen on television or in, in stories at that point. Mr. Spock had more feelings, even though he was a cold, you know, logical Vulcan. He seemed to have more feelings than I don't know most people, most humans. Yeah, I, I think could say on the show. I, I totally agree with you because I think Spock is definitely, uh, you know, a character that broke the mold of what an alien uh, character in a show should be like when he came on the scene back in the '60s. Because I mean, before that. I mean, you could say that there were humanoid or actual human-like aliens and things like the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits and stuff like that. But, you know, the the whole conception of what is an alien, I think Spock really changed that. And 
you have to remember that not only was he an alien, he was a half-breed alien. So even on the Enterprise, mm-hmm. he was an outcast. He was a an island unto himself because on his home world of Vulcan, he was seen as half-human. On Earth, he's seen as a Vulcan. So I always thought it was a very interesting exercise in isolation of a character and how he would deal with that and relate to his fellow crew members. I mean, I, I Spock is my favorite character in all of Star Trek and he was very influential to me when I was growing up and I really was sad when I heard Leonard Nimoy died and it's one of those bittersweet things because you know on the one hand he's gone and we won't get to experience any more of what he has to offer and you know but on you know the flip side of that the guy definitely lived the full life I think he had a lot mm-hmm. of interests outside of acting. Uh, he was a fantastic director, and he—I mean—he directed like Three Men and a Baby, which was a huge hit back in the late '80s. Uh, he was—I I mean—a very prolific photographer and poet, which I actually didn't mm-hmm. really know much about his poetry until uh, reading some of these obituaries. So I wonder if he's published any of it, or most of it's for personal consumption. Uh, I, I think he has actually. He has at least one or two books. Yeah, and. I, I'm just really impressed by just for a guy who was so good at playing uh, a stoic character who was stone-faced most of the time, this guy seriously had this really deep emotional well that he could draw from for about, you know, 83 years. And I think that's incredible Mm -hmm. for anyone, let alone, you know, an actor to be able to do that. So... I, I the the sweet part of it though is that you know his work is there anytime I want to enjoy it I can always go back and watch yeah. him and appreciate the way he played the character and I know that that's there for people in the future to enjoy too um, it's just still you know you're gonna miss a guy who was seemed like a really decent genuine human being as well as being a fantastic actor and. You know, an actor on top of that, I might add, that I don't think really ever got his due because he came to be so defined, as you were saying, Sam, by uh, the Spock character, right? Like, I have read I Am Not Spock and then I Am Spock, those two books that he he wrote. And uh, besides being pretty funny and have this kind of, like, uh, meta look at his own life and how the character relates to him, um, I, I think you're right, he there was a time where he went through that he really didn't feel like he was getting his due because he was so constrained by the character of Spock, but then realized later on that Spock meant so much more to so many people than he could ever contain within himself, so he kind of just accepted it. And, you know, I think that's really great, that level of humility. It just seems like a really great guy. And I, it's a shame that uh, I never had an opportunity to, to meet him. You know, that's that's something I would have really liked. Yeah. You know, he was actually also in the Twilight Zone in uh, at least yeah. one episode that I found. Where it's it's not really science fiction super, but it's you know he's uh, I believe he's he's a soldier in the Vietnam War, and oh no, you know what this might not, he was he was a soldier and it was actually in World War Two. Yeah, it was with the Japanese yeah. guys who were unable to yeah. surrender. Yeah, and he went to and he. They attacked. It was basically he was a part of an American company, and went. They went to attack, 
And then, like, he wakes up, and he's actually on the other side, and he's Japanese, and he's trying to dissuade them from attacking. And he tried to do this on the American one, too, and I guess it just ends up that they're going to attack again, but then they wake. he wakes up again, and he's an American soldier, and the news that the A-bomb has been dropped has spread, and so they don't have to attack, and they fall back. So I guess it's, you know, some irony there. He's happy that he doesn't have to go kill these people when the reality is it took all these other people being killed to, uh, to get him out of killing these people. So it's a win, but I guess it's something of a shallow victory because the greater reason he didn't want to fight has kind of been, you know, thwarted. I, uh, he, he's had a, a lot of really cool roles outside of Star Trek, which again is, is, it's a shame that people only associate him with Spock because he's such a great actor yeah. on a, a lot of different levels. Like, you know, uh, a show that has nothing to do with sci-fi, uh, Columbo. He uh, he hmm. guest starred in an episode of that that was really a great episode where he played uh, kind of a nefarious doctor who uh, I. I mean, I can't remember the exact plot, but I think he he murdered one of his colleagues, and he so, you know, pretty much you got to see uh, Spock more or less play wits with uh, Columbo, and that, that was pretty fun. He you know he was in so many things, uh, right up into the '90s. I I remember watching the the revived Outer Limits series. Uh, he was he was in an episode of that where he was playing a wow. lawyer to uh, I, I think an alien or a machine i again can't remember that that well but i do remember his performance that's the one thing i do remember from the episode uh so he he was really prolific and another great show he was in was of course uh i'm a big fan of the show fringe yeah which was uh jj yeah. abrams show he wasn't he wasn't in it a whole lot but he was kind of a big deal character who you didn't see him i think he was only in the show for I'm going to say five to six episodes, probably max, maybe a bit more. But he was kind of a bigwig who was talked about a lot. And when he was on screen, he was he was very cool. I, I, I'll put a little spoiler tag here because I don't want to. It's a great series if you haven't seen it. And I believe it's I believe it's still on Netflix. I'm not sure though. Um, but in the beginning, he's he's thought to be the bad guy, but he's really not a bad guy. He's actually good. But then. After crazy events happen, of course, he becomes unambiguously evil. And uh, he actually talked later and said that he thought it was a lot more fun when he got to be really the bad guy completely. And apparently, on the old Star Trek movies, when um, at this point, at one point, when he didn't like to be, when he didn't want to be uh, on the series anymore, and he came back for, I believe it was for the Wrath of Khan, he went on on the condition that he was going to be killed off. And I think there were also some reports that he wanted to be the villain or something. So I guess this was kind of his going on fringe and being able to be the villain near the end of the show was kind of his ability to finally ha- live out that dream. Well, and I, I think it's and, great that you you mentioned that uh, his you know his breadth as an actor because and especially you know his attraction to the villain roles because uh, you know if people out there aren't really familiar with his voiceover work, which he's done a lot of as well. Uh, he he's done a lot of work in the Transformers uh, universe as well. Yeah. He was Sentinel Prime uh, in the most recent uh, Dark of the Moon. I think that was like a couple years ago now, and he got his ass kicked by Optimus. But you know his his real his real great voiceover contribution was he is the voice of Galvatron in Transformers the movie from 1986. And you talk about playing a villain. Uh, he took a really iconic villain. Uh, Megatron and 
kind of amped him up to 11 with Galvatron. Uh, I think besides Spock, uh, Galvatron's always been uh, my favorite role of his because such a great villain. And, you know, of course, then they kind of made Galvatron insane in the series after that. But, uh, you know, he did a really great job as a villain as well. I think I think you're absolutely right. He He knew how to play one. He had the voice for it. And uh, I guess, of course, you can't not discuss he how he um, he directed the Star Trek. Was it four? Three, he directed right? three and four, um, which oh, wow. you know speaks to his talent as a director as well. Because I mean, he really had a big string of hits in the eighties. Because Star Trek three was uh, you know a fairly big hit, and that was a very serious yeah. movie. And then Star Trek four was probably the most commercially successful. Star Trek movie, um, I think adjusted for inflation, it's probably still the most financially successful Star Trek movie, even compared with JJ's movies. Uh, you know, and Star Trek Four had a lot of mainstream crossover appeal as uh, as a comedy, a sci-fi comedy, mm. and you know, I, people still talk about that as being a great film. And then also, we mentioned that, that he was yeah. he directed Three Men and a Baby from. Uh, 1987, which, you know, was a pure comedy. So he had a lot of talent, so much talent in just, you know, that tall frame of his. Yeah. Apparently something from uh, The Undiscovered Country. The For those of you who don't know, it's about these aliens come to Earth and we can't really communicate with them and their tech seems to be disrupting and destroying everything that we, that, you know, Earth has. And we realize that they're speaking in some kind of like dialect or language that whales. Nope, that's the voyage home, there, Sammy. Oh, am I really messing? I thought that was the one that he. Uh, you may really? be too high on sci-fi, but yes, it's the voyage home where the whale probe shows up and starts fucking everything up in the beginning. The undiscovered oh, country damn. is about the future of the Soviet Union in America, as told through the Klingon Empire and the Federation. Right, and, and Nimoy uh, Nimoy uh, co-wrote uh, Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. Right, <laughs> I totally messed that up. You high fuck! I'll have to cut that. <laughs> I'm high on sci-fi. Absolutely, but I think again, anything Leonard Nimoy touched in Star Trek seems to have turned to gold or at least had, you know, quality plot to it. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, shall we say a departure from Star Trek V, Bill Shatner's turn in the director-writer chair? Yeah, well, we, we can say that uh, Leonard was given the material that he was given in that movie, and he worked it wonderfully, but still, there's only so much you can do when the material you're given is uh, basically two steps removed from a piece of dog shit. Yeah, but I mean, it's testament to his acting skills that he's able to take something that was unquestionably shit and a huge Shatner ego exercise and still make his role as Spock be a compelling, interesting character. Yeah, and, you know, I really have to, I just have to ask you guys, I mean, I know what my favorite Spock Leonard Nimoy moment is. I mean, what is what is yours? Well, I really like the part where he's punching Khan on the face in the middle of San Francisco no, on the flying stop truck that right now. and screaming at him. Stop. That's my favorite Spock moment. No. Actually, for real, my favorite Spock, Spock moment. Your favorite Spock prime moment. My favorite Spock moment overall is when he uh, Vulcan nerve pinches the punk rocker on the bus in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a great song the guys playing out of the boombox, too, that they, they wrote specifically for the movie. <laughs> it's called I Hate You. <laughs> um, I guess, honestly, you know what? I, I've been mean to rewatch it since this unfortunate event happened, but in The Voyage Home, I really liked his performance. I can't think of a specific moment from it, but just, you know, putting him in 20th century San, Fran- San Francisco, mm-hmm. right? That I just that was that was a pretty entertaining thing, uh, the way he acted in a lot of that movie. And although they uh, now that I think about it, they go to SeaWorld, don't they? Uh, it's actually the uh, they Cetacean go to the Sausalito uh, Cetacean Institute. Cetacean Institute. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good. I'm glad they didn't sully their names with uh, SeaWorld, considering all the stuff that happened with them the last like couple yeah, of years. Yeah. Fuck SeaWorld. Yeah. No, I mean that gave us uh, great moments like. Uh, Double dumbass on you and what's colorful language? Spock trying to get his memories back from colorful Dr. metaphors. Colorful metaphors, yeah. yeah. Trying to get his memories back from <laughs> Doctor McCoy, and then also trying to figure out like what the fuck is happening with this 1980s Earth that's just full of angry people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, also the Tribble. I oh, all right, all right. I'll amend it a little bit. The, when Mister Spock was uh, when they were dealing with the Tribbles, and he uh, of course the you know gotcha moment where at the end he realizes that. Uh, there's an undercover agent who's really a um, Klingon. A uh, thank you, a Klingon who, uh, when the tri- when the triple reacts badly to him, I thought that was a funny uh, Spock moment. That was nice. Oh, you know, actually, in the intro there, I kind of lied a little bit. Uh, Spock, I guess, technically was in another Star Trek series. He was in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, Sam, Sam just reminded me of that during the uh, triple time travel crossover episode. Spock is specifically seen and mentioned by um, what's her face, Chad Zia Dax, saying he was smart dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. she thought he was sexy. Yeah, she did. Yeah, I imagine they just cut that together. They didn't actually like. Well, no, they went no, back in time, I, and <laughs> I don't think Paramount's budget included a time machine. Well, yeah, no, I mean, but they they didn't get a uh, i mean i just imagine you know if they really wanted they could try and get them back and everything but i mean they look so young and everything it's just the way it was pretty it looked you know i maybe i have to go back and look at it but from what i remember it seemed pretty seamless that they were entered into the uh oh no it was done so well they won in the visual effects emmy for that i believe wow well yeah, yeah. that's deserved them that was cuz it looked like you know here i am i'm asking like did they get them the back and use makeup and shit to make them look super young but no they just cut it in and it looked that believable well, I think you could, that ship sailed when, you know, William Shatner, Captain Kirk is not, like, exceeding his chair as far as his girth. He's not wedged in there. Yeah, well, there was some CGI. You know, at that point, there <laughs> was there was no girdle strong enough to contain the Shat gut. <laughs> right. They hadn't invented the uh, transparent aluminum yet. It's not right. strong enough to hold back. That's right. But, my, I mean, I, the, my favorite moment definitely is uh, from Star Trek II. I think the best Spock moment is when... Uh, he dies in Star Trek Two. I remember the first time I saw it when I was a kid, and uh, I didn't know it was going to happen, and I cried after he died. Uh, I was watching the movie when I was sick, home from school one day, and I just took me completely by surprise because he was my favorite character. But uh, the way that was acted out and directed, it was you know he did it so well. I mean, if if you can say that you know you can die well on screen. And, and make people feel that, then that is a real achievement. I've always thought that was the best Spock moment. Uh, and, you know, just in general, every Spock moment is good to me because as a kid, you know, I really actually 
strangely enough, looked up to Spock. Uh, he was kind of a role model of mine, and you know, he was a decent, honorable character. And I just don't think that you have many of those today. Characters that don't have like you know edgy compromises or anything like that. And you know, Spock, although he had a lot of difficulties in finding out who he was and suppressing his emotions, uh, you know, he was fundamentally a decent, dutiful character and I always really connected with that and his interest in his curiosity and his penchant for you know science and discovery you know he wasn't human and he couldn't experience the same emotions but he was one of that triad in the original series of McCoy Kirk Spock who brought the logic the command and the emotion to every situation and kind of as the audience mirrored what we were feeling even if he couldn't feel it himself the character so i always i love spock yeah definitely uh unified that thing and and uh, as i said i was a huge fan of fringe and having someone of that ability you know be on the show even in the limited capacity that it was really it added so much to the show it was uh it was awesome to see you know, not Spock, of course, but someone else, but um, Laird Nimoy on that show, again, being in a, another sci- sci-fi show. And, of course, before we finish on uh, Mr. Nimoy, can't forget to say um, <laughs> his his special video uh, music video on, although not sci-fi content, still, um, still, you know, I guess a cousin to it in fantasy where he did a video called The Legend of Bilbo Baggins. Oh, yeah, that's a great song. <laughs> very, very interesting, <laughs> done in very 60s style. Like, the girl, yeah. all the girls in it dance super 60, but it was it was a fun little thing. And I guess, you know, there's if you look, watch it, it's on YouTube, there's, like, pictures of him as Spock in the beginning of it, and all the people dancing have, like, the Spock-like ears, which I guess you could say are, like, elves, but, you know, it looks like he probably used, he leveraged some of the Spock stuff to... Just pursue a uh, personal project of making a video, a music video again about uh, the Hobbit. Just an yeah. example of how far his uh, interests went, I guess. I mean, he said a, had a wide range of work. I think we've covered his Star Trek appearances. Um, obviously, he had some TV appearances outside of that, but he also. I don't know if anybody is familiar with Civilization Five, the game, but he is the guy who reads the text for all the different discoveries and tells you about the history. Or if you discover, you know, something in Civilization that's mundane, like pottery, he'll still read you the text about, you know, whatever the Civilization guys have written about the history of pottery. And it it's interesting and it's fitting. He has had, I guess, a a, a lot of gravitas in the way he spoke. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Leonard Nimoy will certainly be missed. Like Grant said, there's probably not going to be another person like him. Um, Zachary Quinto, whether or not this is J.J. Abrams' fault, I don't think is uh, really the successor to Mr. Spock that we would need. Mm. Yeah, uh, look, I mean... He's trying. Nimoy, he's trying, and I think Quinto's take on Spock is, uh, although it's not really my cup of tea, I think he's he's doing an admirable job, and uh, he got the blessing from Leonard Nimoy regardless, so that's good enough for me in this in that situation. I just, you know, and I think Quinto realizes that he can never rival Spock Prime's accomplishments. <laughs> I mean, Spock Prime 
How many times has he saved the Enterprise uh, at the co- you know one time at the cost of his own life? Uh, he's responsible for uh, finally ridding us of Starscream, killing Starscream in Transformers the movie. Uh, just so much shit. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with that on um, the next big Star Trek movie. Well, hopefully, if I don't know, I'm just going to keep my statement i guess from the first episode of super high sci-fi is that jj abrams and his team are a bunch of cocksucker hacks who fucked up star trek so hopefully they wouldn't have to rely on him again and say but he's hey. not doing it isn't he isn't the guy who played scotty doing um well the next star trek movie no no i'm saying that that hopefully the new team isn't going to be relying on that in the same way that it's like hey kids remember this guy mm. right no. yeah so hopefully we can avoid that because although Spock Prime's inclusion in the first movie made perfect sense, the second movie where he just showed up to tell other Spock about like the Khan and how evil he is, and then other Spock's like, hmm, Khan sounds dangerous, but he has no way of knowing who Khan is yet. Mm-hmm. Lazy writing fucking sucks. I'm sorry Leonard Nimoy had to go through that. May he rest in peace. Right, the part where he says, you know, oh, I'm not going to give you advice on how to handle things, but... You know, this is, <laughs> yeah. But let me just do that, right? Just let me just violate what I just said I wasn't going to do and tell you how to beat Khan. Yeah. So certainly not. Uh, you just type in Bill Gates into the console, <laughs> and then uh, you get instant hyper shields and stuff, and then you can beat Khan. Just like that. Just make sure it works with the Apple uh, setup that you guys have on this new bridge. Well, you know. You can't have everything. Yeah. But anyway, I think in conclusion, Leonard Nimoy, great actor. Mr. Spock, great guy. Star Trek 2009, not great. J.J. Abrams, bad person. So Yeah, so what else is going on? Yeah, moving on to our other news items for the week. Sammy, why don't you serve us up something? Um, well, we, we talked about this before. The Alien series, um, there was rumors about... Uh, I believe before Prometheus 2 was confirmed before, so that's it's nothing new. But there were rumors about, um, I, I might mess up saying his name, Neil Bookamp. Blumkamp? I say Bookamp. Yeah, that's, uh, he's, uh, he's gotten the okay now. And I, think, I believe it's confirmed he is going to be doing a sequel to the original Alien, and he will be ignoring the uh, next two movies afterwards in the series. But Sigourney Weaver is on board for this project. Right. I think the last time we talked about this, it was it was rumored, but not confirmed, along with the news of Prometheus 2. So Prometheus 2 is happening, but along with that, as Sam just said, the studio has given Mr. Blomkamp the green light to, I guess, do like a reboot of the franchise post-Alien. Mm. It's going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm sure some of you are thinking, hmm, that name sounds familiar. He is the guy who did District 9. I think that's probably the thing that blew most people's minds and introduced him to a lot of people in the film world. Wait, wait, wait. So have they given him permission to uh, do a reboot uh, after the first Alien movie, or is it what happens after Aliens? I, they're disregarding Aliens, I believe, and he's been given the green light to do a sequel to the original Alien. Yeah, it's supposed to be a bridge, I guess. Between the first two, Alien and Aliens. Is it really? Oh, so it is going to connect to the original sequel? 
Right. I'm reading here in Variety, which is uh, surprisingly reliable, <laughs> that, yeah, Blumkamp is saying that he's not doesn't want to undo the movies, but I guess he's going to try and connect them somehow. I don't know. I mean, if you remember the Aliens franchise, it kind of goes from there's an alien to there's more aliens to there's clones and shit. So I'm sure he has plenty of free reign to maneuver within the confines of that universe. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff he could do, but yeah, he's got uh, that on his plate after uh, another sci-fi theme movie, I guess, because it's got robots in it. It's uh, Chappie comes out fairly soon. Yeah. And yeah. Any, anyone excited about Chappie? Are you guys going to go see it or anything? I think it looks like an interesting film. Uh, Hugh Jackman's in it. I always like Hugh Jackman. He's a pretty good actor, yeah. just generally. And he's playing, looks like a pretty good role. And I don't know who's actually doing uh, the work for Chappie himself, the character in the movie, but the character of Chappie intrigues me because he's a thinking, feeling machine, which is something that if we're not going to be dealing with it within the next 20 years, it certainly is going to be something we're dealing with, I think, in the next 50 years, Um, machines that Mm. can mimic human emotions and uh, human behaviors. I think that's going to happen, and it's it's an interesting way to look at it. And I think also, from what I've seen, I'm really interested in the way they're framing these issues they're exploring in the movie, how not only it's about robotics and uh, ro- robots experiencing uh, human development, things like that, but you know, the police in this movie are using robotics now to enforce the law and how the police are getting out of control, and that really mirrors a lot of things that have been going on recently in our society about, you know, what level of force are the police allowed to use? So I'm, I'm looking forward to an intelligent sci-fi movie. I think Blomkamp does a good job. Yeah. I think that's certainly his, one of his hallmarks, especially like with district nine, that was, uh, for those of you who, good movie. who weren't, yeah, but who weren't alive in the early nineties. Um, that was, is that really how old it is? No, it's no, no, early not. No, right. no, no. All right. That's why you got to, let me <laughs> sorry, sorry. finish the thought. I, I was just, you were just, you just surprised me there. I was like, I can't believe that's so old. Go on. Anyway, Sam's super high, everybody. So we'll, <laughs> we'll handicap him there. But uh, no, no, District 9 was um, exploring apartheid. I don't know if any of you are unfamiliar with that, but South Africa used to have a very uh, racially segregated society there. And if you kind of do some research on that or are familiar with it, you can see that there's a on the surface, it's aliens and this weird company that's, you know, containing the aliens and their spaceship. But there's a lot of uh, social unrest, um, equality, civil rights kind of stuff going on there with the treatment of the aliens. So I think, like Grant said, Blumkamp has shown himself to be capable of doing something a little deeper than just explosion stuff. Yeah, we keep the prawns in their little place. Yeah, keep those fucking prawns in their little place. But seriously, though, this uh, this alien thing, uh, because you guys kind of took me by surprise there with uh, this latest piece of information, uh, it, it really uh, confuses me. Like, I don't I don't get it at all. Like, he's trying to make a bridge movie between Alien and Aliens. I mean, I, I thought James Cameron explained the bridge pretty well in that movie. It's 57 years where she's floating around in the lifeboat and well, just, like, drifts past everything, and they almost miss her. Like, that's what happens. I got a quote for you from Mr. Blumkamp, apparently, in the Variety article. It says, My favorites are the first two movies, so I want to make a film that's connected to Alien and Aliens. That's my goal. I'm not trying to undo Alien 3 or Alien Resurrection. 
I just huh. want it to be connected to Alien 1 and 2. So is he talking about, you think, making uh, a movie that's kind of tangentially related to Alien and Aliens with, like, different characters? and But Sigourney Weaver is right, in it. Right, that's what I don't get is if she's in it, how is he going to be making a movie uh, that's, like, bridging or connecting those two? Because we know what she's doing between the first two movies. She's floating in fucking space. Yeah, she's in the cryopod. So I have to imagine... Maybe something happens and she forgets all about it. I just hope he doesn't do that. That would be fucking stupid. But I mean, she forgets and becomes old and then becomes young again? Yeah, to me, that that kind of plot, if they went with that, that would sound exactly like the fucking shit they tried to pull with uh, Colonial Marines, the fucking awful game that they released a couple years ago where... You know, they try to play with the events after Aliens and during Alien 3 and just, like, made it so, like, oh, no, Hicks really didn't die. He was, like, he was he was coming to the planet Ripley was on, and he was there right before she killed herself and everything. And it, it was so stupid, <laughs> and they were just, you could tell, like, they just didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And right. So that's why, you know, like, I think Blomkamp's a good director, but this, this thing kind of confuses me because I thought he was going to be making a a film that was a sequel to Aliens and that he was going to be kind of wiping out Alien 3 and Resurrection, which... Yeah, that's why I'd heard Yeah, too. and I, I would be surprised. okay with that. I would be okay with yeah. that because those two movies are, are not good by any stretch of the imagination. And, I, I mean... Even Joss Whedon, who wrote Alien, says it's like he didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, to be fair to Joss, like, a lot of the stuff he wrote in the Resurrection script, his version, didn't end up on screen, and they really fucked mm. with the stuff that they did keep that he wrote. Um, uh, but, but I, I mean, I'm okay with Blomkamp erasing Alien 3 and Resurrection. I'm not so okay with him trying to, like, wedge some kind of story in between Alien and Aliens, because like I said, we know what's going on between those two movies, and I don't see any way you can really do that without having it be about uh, like separate characters besides Ripley and all of them, you know, doing something else while Ripley's asleep. That to me, that seems like the way it has to be. But then again, I'm not the filmmaker. Uh, this, I'm just really, I'm really skeptical about this because we saw what happened when you make a movie that's tangentially related in its DNA strand as I'm quoting Ridley Scott there uh, we've seen what happens when you make a movie like that. It's called Prometheus, and it wasn't good. It wasn't no. good at all, and it didn't answer any of the questions it posed. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, all it said, the only question it answered was whether or not there was going to be a sequel, and now we know there is going to be a sequel to that. Um, I, I just uh, I can't get my head around this Blomkamp thing now. Well, I'm... What, what, go ahead. Go, sorry, go on. Uh, one, one question is, I'd like to think he wouldn't do this, and I'd hope he wouldn't do this. You don't think he's going to try and connect it to the engineers of Prometheus, do you? I, I uh, well, that's the only thing that comes to mind, you know, in the universe that we know of, to be some kind of tangent. I, I see. I just don't get how he's going to do that because they're saying that Sigourney Weaver's not going to be in it, and who is she going to play besides Ripley? I just don't see how you can do anything with Ripley besides, uh, you know, let her sleep in the lifeboat. Well, let me play Hollywood hack producer here and pretend I just did a bunch of cocaine. <laughs> so we could have a clone or we could oh, have God. time travel or we could have some uh. sort of alternate universe quantum deal where this version of Ripley didn't fall asleep in the lifeboat or got picked up right away or something. No, no. You see that they're violating their own damn rules if they go with that because they said in Resurrection... 
it took them like what 200 fucking years between alien three and resurrection to develop the cloning process. And they remember in the movie, they went through like seven failed Ripley clones and they had that really stupid gratuitous scene in resurrection where she has to set her old clones and stuff on fire that are all like mutated and ugly and shit because they didn't splice the DNA the right way. I, I, so they're violating their own rules, even if they were to do that. I, I <laughs> well, she'll, the clone will discover a time traveling device and then go back, and there you go. Okay, so are we talking like she, she's she discovers a Terminator type tra- time traveling device, or is this like a Twelve Monkeys time traveling situation? <laughs> I, I think it's, it's probably Terminator style. It's probably one okay, way. Okay, so she uh. has to go through with no clothes. It's only organic material. Right? I'm thinking it's Austin Powers. Uh, Austin Powers, so yeah. she, she, cryo freeze. Well, no, Austin Powers time travel, where she can just go back and forth at her leisure. Oh, and Basil oh, Exposition God. tells you yeah. not to worry about that. Yeah, don't worry <laughs> about it. Just enjoy the ride. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looking directly at the audience, breaking the right. fourth wall. So. Well, I mean, hey, that's a valid way to handle it. Yeah. I, I just hope that these the alien team here doesn't get too caught up in trying to justify their own bullshit if that's the route they go through. Yeah. it's... See, to me, that just seems like if they have to go through all these hoops to justify wedging another movie in between Alien and Aliens, they they just shouldn't do it. Yeah. Maybe the best scenario then is uh, what you said, the like, the what if. And just like say, all right, this is just a tangent. This doesn't, this is a bridge to see like, and maybe something from that what if affects the uh, original one. Like it saves Ripley's life pod instead of having this adventure she just stays asleep for 57 years well you know to me again that would be one of the worst things they could do it just in my opinion because i'm just trying to think of something here to make it work but you know it's it's scary because things like that are plausible because we all watch hollywood movies and we know what happens you know to make the sausage so to speak Mm. and they do shit like that. And I just think that something like that would be totally disrespectful to Aliens, which I know it's a different movie from Alien, and I know there's purists out there who disagree with me, but Aliens is a better movie than Alien. I'm sorry. just is, in my opinion. It just is. And you don't want to disrespect the best film in your franchise. Yeah. I don't know. I guess this is one of those things where we're going to have to see, because on the one hand, Neil Blomkamp doesn't have a record of being a fuck-up. But on the other hand, the last entry into the Aliens franchise was awful. Prometheus mm. here, if we're going to count that as a member of the franchise. So, I don't know. I suppose it's something we're just going to have to wait and see on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it just just doesn't seem very encouraging to me at this point. But but I will take solace in the fact that you know we're very early in the process. Neil Blomkamp hasn't even started writing a script for this thing. So a lot of stuff could change, but Neil, if you're listening, do not fuck with the continuity. All right. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't make it like Zelda, please. Cause then we're all going to get lost. Oh God. Yeah. Kind of back to the, the beginning of the show to loop you back to the, to the introduction here. Uh, Leonard Nimoy dad, just to reconfirm that he's definitely dead. But in his honor, we figured that it would be pretty cool to do an episode commentary on a two-parter episode of The Next Generation. It's two-parter, so it'll be the first part this week, second part next week. 
uh, Unification Part 1 and 2 from, I believe, Season 5 of The Next Generation. Yeah. Yep. Uh, great episodes. Pull them up on Amazon, iTunes, DVD, wherever you have them. And we will get the show on the road here. Ready, guys? Yeah. All right. Go. Oh, shit. This is the episode where Gene Roddenberry died, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he died right before uh, the movie came out, Star Trek Six came out. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, that's very interesting. Suspense. Please Admiral Brackett. That's a nice picture of the Enterprise, though. Yeah. I, like, I wonder what that book is. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I like Picard's book. Oh, there's a shitty laptop. <laughs> uh, and she's got a mouse, too, it looks like. No. Nah, no mice. They're just like a swivel bottom. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Uh, Enhance. Enhance CSI. <laughs> Oh my god, it's Leonard Nimoy. And uh as always, we skip the credits introduction, so we're we're now the Enterprise is speeding through space. Oh, he's got the funny jacket on. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy's He's a special guest star in my heart, so. I wonder if you get an iPad skin to look like that. I'm sure somebody sells the pad iPad skin. Hmm, <laughs> frowny face, Commander Riker. Is the actor who plays Spock's father still alive? No, Mark Leonard. He's been dead for a while. Oh, all right. I thought he was possibly still alive. No, he was alive for a while, but he's he's dead. I feel like Picard's outfit looks like it's made out of um, velvet on the red part. Yeah. Yeah, it's his special <laughs> captain's jacket. Velvet seems such a... Not... I don't know, functional piece of fabric for what his duties are, but... That's like his casual uniform, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's what he has on when he's uh, fucking the kids in the elevator, right? <laughs> the kids... What episode is that from? Uh, Disaster, I think is what it's called. Yeah. It's where he gets fucked into taking the kids on the tour of the ship. Oh, Yeah. And then Counselor Troy ruins the ship and gets some trap in the elevator. <laughs> Sounds vaguely familiar. 
Yuck. Mint tea's pretty good. Well, I'm just reacting to Vulcan approximation mint tea. Mint. Yeah. I don't know. Vulcan doesn't seem to have a good culinary situation going on. No. (laughs) They're mostly like vegetarians anyway. Yeah. Vegetarians are despicable not, human beings. I mean, they're not, you know, not terrible people, but I feel like that would probably limit some of their cuisine. They're good Vulcans, though. Yeah, see, Spock's got problems with his dad and with his stepmother. Hmm. Oh no, he attacked his What position. a surprise. Well, he was. I feel like they were so lucky to get him to do this. I don't really know too much about his career. I mean, did he have anything else going on at the time? Well, it's just he didn't want to for so long. We're in season five here. I guess he's like, all right, I guess it's a legit entity. I think he was happy to do it because this episode... Is is kind of a a nice epilogue to Star Trek Six. Mm. So the events in that movie kind of they directly influence what happens in this episode. Yeah. Jordy, look at this plastic space junk. (laughs) Yeah. Plastic space junk and those replacements they have for the 55-gallon drums that are everywhere. Storage bins? Yeah, they're big blue plastic. Cargo crates. They look like those, what are those shitty drinks they have, like, hug mugs or whatever, the foil tops? Yeah. (laughs) They just look like gigantic versions of that shit. Well, it looks like they went to the container store and had a bonanza sale and then, like, torched all of it with a flamethrower. <laughs> oh, nope. Thought he was masturbating. No, he's getting a, a tornado blowjob. <laughs> Maybe he's just dreaming about one right now. <laughs> Gotta say, Vulcans have some pretty terrible ways to die. You look at them over the series. They all they're subject to the like I remember uh, Tukov and or Tubak in Voyager, he uh he was ultimately fated to have like a terrible degenerative disease of the brain as well. Yeah, but Tuvok got cured, didn't he? He did, but I mean he was originally fated to have that. It seems like Vulcans are like, oh we I I mean 
It's just their mind degenerates, what, because they use it too much? Yeah, I guess, you know, if you've got a really powerful mind, mental diseases are going to hit you uber hard. More effectively. Yeah. Yeah. He's He's like, I can fucking hear you. You're right next to me. Yeah. Captain Picard knows everybody somehow. Yeah. No shit. Thanks. What? Mm-hmm. It's interesting how Picard just has a uh, the effect of a moment of lucidity on uh, Spock's father. Well, he's probably thinking about, uh, what's that, the Remus moon mine there where Shinzon lives, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, Picard and Sarek shared a mind meld in an earlier episode, so it's probably more attuned to him. He's going to tell you. Yeah. Oh, the Kittimer Conference. How about that? Yeah. Damn, I hope that's like a barefoot, too. He must be so cold. Guards like, oh shit. <laughs> Never mind.
Picard's like, I really need to go now. Yeah. Yeah, he has wasted a lot of Picard's time with this story. I know, you can see his fists kind of half-clenching. Picard's like, he's in that moment of indecision where you want to be respectful and listen to the old person's story about... You know their their war experience or something, but then you you really got to go to the bathroom too. <laughs> yeah, he now he's opted to be do the friendly approach here, but it's, there's something to be said for Captain Kirk who would have punched him or slapped him or something. Give me uh, an answer, man. Yeah, Damn Kirk it. would have just turned around and walked away. Just been really decisive about it. Uh, Kirk would have slapped him, shook him by the shoulders, told him to tell him. Woken him up and like grabbed him by the shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> was this uh this character's last appearance? Did he die after this? Yeah. And did the actor die after this? Uh I don't know exactly when Mark Leonard, the actor, died, but the character is dead within the episode. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, Sarek's, like, over 200 years old at this point, and he has Bendai Syndrome, which is, I guess, the Vulcan equivalent of Alzheimer's disease. I think all the Star Trek psychic people end up with something like that. Don't the Beta Zeds have that, too? Something similar that makes them nuts? Maybe? Well, yeah, the... Yeah, like Captain Garth of Izar. He's fucking nuts on that rehabilitation planet. Yeah. Gowron. Yeah, Ga- Gowron is Picard's bitch. Everyone Mr. Is Wolf. Bitch. Garen, Garen is like tricky dick in the Klingon culture. Yeah. He's just like always, you know, he's he's quite the figure. He's not, you know, he's he's not a strong warrior or anything. He's just a trickster. Yeah, he, too bad he doesn't know at this point that he's about six, seven years away from getting wharfed in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's going to be dealt with. Yeah. Hey, it's Data. Yeah, very good, Mr. Data. You want to give him a freeze frame there, Data? Enhance. There we go. You know what? I will I will buy enhancing at this point with how powerful the computer is. Yeah, computer yeah. computers can do that now, but like probably back then it was pretty cool to see that. I mean, but it's not like I I don't buy the CSI reflection in his pupil from the security camera out of the puddle thing. I don't buy that, but I'll buy the spaceship computer being able to do that. Alright. I guess they do a warp drive. They should probably be able to quote-unquote enhance an image. I mean, they've bent or broken a few other laws of physics, so, you know, 
The crockpot segment. Hmm. <laughs> Well, no shit. He's from there. He's got family there. Good conclusion, Data. Huh. What the huh. fuck? What the fuck is this? Quick, put Wesley on with him. Insult him back. They're polishing their blades. Is this guy fucking blazed or something? He's not even looking at the camera. He's just kind of <laughs> staring over it. He's above them. I guess. That's the only thing that comes to mind. See, they should have let Admiral Pressman finish his work. <laughs> yeah. Then they wouldn't need to take any shit from Klingons. Mm. Oh shit. You do, do you? <laughs> Picard just face fucked that guy. Yes. No, you're gonna get me what uh what I want because he owes me. Oh shit. We're in sick bay. <laughs> What is she even looking at in there? There's nothing going on. It's just a piece of plastic. <laughs> plastic surgery is just like perfected at this point in history. Yeah, I just wonder what kind of like boob job you can get in the 24th century. <laughs> it's probably amazing. Well, I'm sure Rikers had his cock worked on too. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Lots of pumps and stuff. <laughs> Mr. Mott. The fat Andorian guy, right? Yep. I wish they did more on the Andorians. Well, you can watch Enterprise if you're particularly curious about them. Yeah, but I mean, like, later on, they never, they were kind of big in Enterprise, and then, you know, in TNG, they're not really a presence. Because I know they, like, I think at one point, leave the uh, Federation. 
I think they were a bigger deal in Enterprise because they were one of the founding members of the Federation. Yeah. Whereas in TNG, the Federation's been around for a while, so it's, you know, not so much about the different factions. Yeah. Uh, they just seemed like an inch, you know, they were similar to the Vulcans and everything, and the Vulcans, you know, they're featured pretty, I feel like, decently on uh, TNG. I want to see Jordy cheated gambling or something using his visor. That's what I like to see. <laughs> yeah. Jordy probably does really well on the tables. <laughs> yeah, he can probably see what's inside the shoe, check out what the cards are going to be. Well, you can't. Oh, you made him angry. Mm. He got pissed. Whoa, is this guy some kind of a pussy or something? Yeah. <laughs> Klingon guy's a pussy and Picard's the badass. What what the hell happened? And you know what? It's still better than Babylon 5 CGI. I think the effects hold up. I think the effects hold up just fine, yeah. Yeah. Some of the shit from the first season is a little rough, but after that, they got it together. Ooh. Get some gah. Mm, yum. Worms. Oh, the ship disappeared. Where'd it go? <laughs> Some cloak action going on. Riker's in charge now. He's having fun on that ship. And <laughs> god damn it, nobody else is allowed to. <laughs> oh. When Riker's in command, it's in it's the love boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Isn't that the Mr. Cole Rama? Well, I guess you can still have bad plastic surgery in the 24th century. <laughs> Ooh.
Like it's so good. He's like a high school janitor here. He's just not going to give up any of his authority. Yeah. 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 I know Deanna. <laughs> you just go be a cock tease like you always are, and that'll that'll sway him. Get them tits out. <laughs> you seem to know exactly what's going on. Yeah. How about you take a point on this? She basically did. did she's like, oh yeah, I know all this. It's like, all right, how about you go deal with this? Because you're a counselor. So I guess, you know, break through to him that way. Nice outfit, too. Yeah, because you run a scrapyard. We get it. Fork over the files. Come on. <laughs> he hasn't actually seen other people for like years. Handsome women. Boom. Oh, straightening the sweater. Dildos and <laughs> dead bodies, yeah. sorts of lube, and just it's in my pants right now. <laughs> Come on, you got it. He set himself up for that. <laughs> she had the she had the toughest job in this episode, just listening to that guy's bad stories. Yeah. I don't know. You're the shipyard, you're the scrapyard guy. You should know this. <laughs> Jordy's expression there. Really? Because it's not on the triplet anymore? Man, this is where they send, like, the short bus kids when they're done with school. They put them in charge of the scrapyard. Yeah. <laughs> guys doesn't seem too smart. Despite his, uh, functional-looking shirt. <laughs> you don't know. He could have helpers put it on for him. I guess so.
gumshoe Riker here. It's too bad we won't get to see Riker step over a chair in this episode. He or sit on one. He does it so well. Yeah, it's an art. <laughs> so, welcome to your room. You get a bench. Yeah. Oh, a shelf. Sorry. I don't know. It's like a metal bench, though. It's got to be pretty horrible to sleep on that. Yeah. He has to straighten his uniform when he's down on the bench. Yeah. sucks data's being a total creep right now <laughs> Picard's like what the fuck Should have brought Lieutenant Barkley along. Mm. Yeah, he would have gotten them killed pretty quickly. Oh yeah, he'd fuck it up. Just imagine you wake up and you see Data staring at you like that. I know he's like <laughs> a total creep. <laughs> yeah, it's a fucking serial killer line. <laughs> Cards like just, just look over there. <laughs> I'll just, just look at you before I look away. Yeah. Just fucking stand in the corner, Data. Just put your face yeah. right in the corner. Okay, I'm just gonna get up now. <laughs> nope, not tired. I'm gonna hit the hat up right back. All right. Hmm.
That chair is seriously so comfortable looking. Kill him. It's an interesting looking ship. Shake the camera. Yeah, I always wanted to know how they did that. I know they're shaking the camera, but... How do they get the actors to all lurch in the same time? It's pretty good. I think don't they just they probably just or they maybe they know in the scripts like after someone says something everyone like you know. Oh no, I get that Joel. it's rehearsed and everything, but I just I wonder about the way they accomplish that. Because <sighs> I know like now if you're Guillermo del Toro, you just build your Pacific Rim set to actually move and shake, so people have no choice. Nice. Thank you, Jordy. Oops. <laughs> oh, that was useful. You just lost your only lead, Commander Riker. How do you feel about that? Yeah. I like how Picard is an expert enough to do this shit. Yeah, seriously. You think this would be something he would have had data download in order to do? Data? Call him fucking data? Are you Dr. Pulaski now? <laughs> data. <laughs> data. Hey, one is his name and the other is not. <laughs> Sarek definitely touched him in an unusual way. <laughs> I think that's implied, yeah. Yeah. so creepy you definitely can be going to get some real real truth handed to him you know don't think about any of this stuff like him being in enemy territory but you know it's going to be sad 
Uh, this Klingon guy is going off all rapey. Listen to this guy. He's the one who wants to lick the pain off Data's ears. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He's, yeah. he's the weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> We understand now that you shouted it. Mm. I get that you're a huge pussy. I understand. Yeah. Well, that's pretty nice. an interesting looking frame yeah I know it's a computer with one button <laughs> it's like a big old iPad That guy looks familiar. Scowly pro console guy. That's a lot of uh, Romulans. No, no, but I mean the actor. Seems like he's done some other stuff. He just looks familiar. looks like a damn bird cocking his head like that. Yeah. Data's just doing a bad job of being a spy. Yeah. But of course, Captain Picard somehow knows how to be an espionage expert. (laughs) He's Captain Picard. He can do anything from be a spy to uh, work in a vineyard. Well, I mean, he works the shit out of that vineyard when he's a crazy old man, so you gotta have something to do with your time. (laughs) Whoa, attempted beanie there. With what money? Well, we're about to find out, Sam. Some beef stew there, it looks like. It's on the house. Yeah, puke. Have some puke paste on the house. 
Uh, it looks like beef stew to me, but it could be applesauce. No, it looks there. like puke. Looks like thickened puke. Yeah, whispering doesn't seem suspicious at all. Yeah. Yeah, eat that shitty soup. It's a constituent right there that he was dealing with, it sounded like. Whoa. Data and Captain Picard in hot water here. Well, I mean, they're in a <laughs> underground cave. Yeah. Creepy. Here's the money shot. Oh. Leonard Nimoy. To be continued. The money shot in the last, like, minute. And that brings us to the end of Unification Part 1. So we will see you guys uh, next week with Unification Part 2 as part of our, I guess, uh, two-week tribute here to Leonard Nimoy. Mm. See you guys next time.